from KQED. It's 2016, the big year for a minimum wage fight in California. It could be from some of the news we saw this week. This is the California Politics Podcast for May 1st. I'm John Myers from KQED News, along with Anthony York of the Grizzly Bear Project and KQED's Marisa Lagos. We're back in our little Sacramento home this week. So cozy. Cozy. (laughs) Beautiful art on the walls. It's it's Uh, nice in here. He says that looking at a bland, nondescript radio studio, but that's okay. Uh, Other topics this week on the podcast besides the minimum wage, we're going to look at the big deadline under the Capitol Dome with uh, hundreds of bills that were all clearing their first hurdle in committee. And this week's California drought news. You you want to give us that? Is that an official sound effect? Can you give it that to us again, Anthony? Oh, the... uh, Come on, come on, come on. I loved it so much last week. Come on. It was good last week, but I'm going to have to... No. (laughs) (laughs) No. The answer is no. The answer to your question is no. You were better last week with the dripping water. It has to do with the... Take another sip of that water there sitting in front of you. Um, So we'll talk about drought news in our third topic. And, of course, our side dishes, our our little snippets of things that were making California politics news. So let's um, – the drought news, of course, well, we'll get to it. Um, So first topic, minimum wage. Uh, On Monday, we saw um, a proposed initiative from Organized Labor for the 2016 ballot. Uh, It would add a dollar a year to California's base pay, the minimum wage, for five years would get the state to 15 bucks an hour in 2021. And then this is really a big deal, and we'll talk about it. It would be linked to inflation, so it could go up even more in years to come from that. The backers, I said, organized labor, more specifically the healthcare branch of uh, SEIU, the U, uh, United Healthcare Workers. So, you know, we know in politics they've got enough cash to gather the signatures and fewer signatures than ever, ever now with the initiative uh, threshold changing. Business groups, I would think, would fight it. So minimum wage. I mean, where 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 do we start? I mean, this is this is a topic we've talked about a lot. It seems maybe what ripe for discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a national discussion that's happening, and we've seen a lot of cities um, talk about it or implement increases in the Bay Area, San Francisco, and Oakland have. Um, it's, Los Angeles has been sort of mulling the idea for a while. I think the it. county voted just what, last month, to study the issue. Um, So I think it has some traction. But as you said, I mean, it's definitely something that polarizes folks. And, you know, I think you can, to some extent, draw it down on sort of partisan lines. But there's also just the issues of small businesses. And we've been hearing a lot of sort of anecdotal pushback in the Bay Area since the raises have come into effect recently um, by small businesses who are saying, hey, we support this in theory, but we just don't know if we can do it. Questions. But but the politics, I mean... Like well, if, if you if you're going to look at a time, I would argue this is a pretty interesting time for it. Yeah, for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a presidential campaign in 2016. We've talked about the larger electorate, which skews more democratic. But the other issue is sort of what's going to be talked about in that presidential election. And we we saw Hillary Clinton come out and make her sort of initial uh, announcement for president, talking a lot about uh, issues of income inequality and and the wage gap and opportunity gap, and so. The, and and you know wanting to, to fight for working families, whatever you know, whatever that means, uh, you know, politically. But I I do think that the minimum wage discussion is a big part of that. And Marisa alluded to sort of you know some other cities, Seattle, San Francisco, already have a fifteen dollar minimum wage fight. But the other the other political piece that's going to be interesting is if this proposal I think qualifies as a as kind of nuclear in the business community, mm-hmm. and it and. And given what the other things that we've talked about, you know, tax reform and other ideas that might be headed to the 2016 ballot, 
how is the business community and and labor on the other side, how are the two sides going to marshal their resources and how are they going to to dedicate the resources to pay? I mean, you know, we're again, you know, it seems like we have this discussion in every odd numbered year that this could be the year that there's a huge, you know, war of all against all as as Jerry Brown has talked about before. <laughs> can you say uh, that in Latin, that was please? Ho- uh, yes. Yes, I can. Uh, I know it's Thomas Hobbes. That's uh, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. For yes, I, 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 I can't play along in that in that sphere with you. I don't. Uh, but um, I'm not educated enough. Well, you know, I, I credit Jack Shar. <laughs> but but, but let's get to, but let's stick to the let's let's go back to your point about the business community's war issues here. There's always been this the sense or this talk that, I mean, this is the holy war, right? I mean, business versus labor, not necessarily about minimum wage. It could be about a lot of things. Split role. Split role, Split role right, the Proposition 13, 13 changes, right. things like that. But minimum wage is one of those that, that the business community has identified in the legislature as a big fight. And the governor tried to mitigate the fight a few years ago, right? You know, with the, the gradual increase, we're at $9 now, we go to $10 in 2016. They wanted the indexing for inflation, Democrats in the legislature and unions, the governor said, no, right. this measure has it. So it does It does have the markings of that kind of multi-million dollar big slugfest. So. Right. And, and also, as Anthony alluded to the issue of how both of these huge, you know, very wealthy groups kind of split their interest within these, um, you know, this particular campaign, because I think that depending on what else is on the ballot, we're going to see both sides have to sort of expend a lot of money and energy on several different fights. So I think it'll, um, it'll, it'll be worth watching kind of how this shapes up. I, I don't think anyone in labor is going to necessarily oppose the minimum wage, but who's actually putting their money behind it, their sort of political muscle behind it, I, I think is is going to be an open question, again, depending on what else is on the ballot and kind of what other fights are being brought to bear by any groups. Um, but I, th- I also I think it's fascinating to Anthony's point about the national discussion and the presidential race and income inequality and, and, and you know, some of these, quite frankly, racial issues around policing that I think are expanding you know, to encompass a lot of these issues, right? When we talk about why, you know, there's this distrust and, and violence happening in places like Baltimore, I think a lot of people want to sort of expand this beyond just including the president. You know, th- this just being an issue of policing to these issues of poverty and socioeconomic issues. So we, we're already seeing, I think, within this burgeoning presidential race, that conversation happening, um, depending on who gets into the race I think in Senate and the governor's race, you know, we'll see that in California. And too. that's why I think if you're the opposition to this, if you're the business community, for example, and the business community is kind of a it, it's it's a bit of a lousy term because, right. it, I mean, it can be I mean, there's all kinds of business, right. you know, a, a multimillion dollar corporation versus a small business, to your point, Marisa, about impact. It's different. But if you're the business community, if you're looking to be the opponents of this. I think this is a harder one. To, I mean, this is this is a harder campaign. This is this may not be the traditional campaign to this year, as we've been talking about. Of the, uh, you think it could be the traditional campaign? I think it, the playbook is the same. It's the impact on small business, and and you know you don't you Jobs don't get out lost, there leading with your Chevron, leave. right? Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and and squeezing the mom and pop, and uh, you know entrepreneur, you know all that stuff. Um, you know, but I but I do think that this this sort of this macro discussion that Marisa is talking about about economic opportunity. I mean, you know, it's sort of it's bearing out in California. Look, 
look at our budget. Look at the what the reports we're getting from the LAO and the Department of Finance about our revenues. Our revenues are I mean, we're booming. We're going to have a multi-billion-dollar surplus in California this year, right? There we have full employment in San Francisco. We have you know, um, and we have pockets of affluence in this state, unlike anything we've seen in a long, long time. And yet we have more poverty than ever. You know, we have twenty percent poverty in the state. Twenty uh, percent poverty among California's children. That's a, and and that discussion. I think that is underlying a lot of uh, the nat- and I think there is a connection, you know, between between um, what we're seeing across the country as as you know, these cities are starting to burn across the country, and it ties back into the discussions we've had in in California already. We talked about last week about the changing narrative on criminal justice. I mean, mm-hmm. I I'm under no illusions that California is is America, you know? Uh, but I think it's interesting to see the, the politics and the tenor of the political discussion changing here and, and what that what the ripples of that might be nationally. Yeah. And politically, I would say that it, I think in a way, Anthony's right, that it's actually easier, it's an easier sell against it for the business community to frame it as a simple economic issue than it is for the proponents to frame it as this broader equality issue. Um, not that people don't understand that, but when you're actually sitting down with your ballot and you're thinking about, you know, talking to your neighbor who has a small business yeah. versus like this broad issue of do I have enough money and government help for childcare or education, you know, it's not, there's not as sort of direct as a line. Um, so I think that's their challenge. I think there's an enormous opportunity on that side to make that case to voters. But I think when you take the sort of the narrative that we're seeing again in, in places that have already done this and this push, I think, from a lot of folks to to frame it as not just an issue of, you know, yeah, the big corporations versus the little guy, the McDonald's versus the workers. But, hey, the mom and pop shop on the corner. I, I think that's a really good point. And I you know, maybe I'll mull my previous idea and see whether or not I agree with it. But I, I think that um, it just depends on which way you look at it. So in one way, you're right. It's a cleaner political campaign to vote no with the playbook that we've talked about. And it's harder sometimes with all these things. It would seem like, though, the other way to look at it is that all those things can actually help the proponents move it forward. They don't have to spend as much time in other words, the opponents have to have to defeat a lot of narratives versus just one narrative. I mean, again, but we're not the high paced, high high priced political consultants. No, and sitting who here. is? And, and on well, this campaign. well, so they, I think that's important to know. Well, they've 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 clearly uh, they've clearly identified who they want. They've um, uh, the folks from SEIU, um, United Healthcare Workers, say they have. Uh, retained SCN Strategies, the Democratic firm out of San Francisco that works for the governor and others, and Kamala, Kamala, Harris, and and Kamala Harris. They have their hands full, so that's the. Well, Kamala Harris is on the ballot in 2016. I mean, you know, is she going to support this? Is that and politically, is that an easy thing for her to support or or not? I mean, are there political consequences for supporting a measure like that or or not in California? That's actually yeah, that's, it was that... an interesting question though because I mean it does it does it does raise the question with everyone running. I mean there's not statewide campaigns except for hers, but even on legislative and congressional races. I mean where where yeah. do you come down on a high profile measure? I was thinking about that too because I think that there's a tendency when something moves through the legislature you need, you know, so many different people to coalesce behind it that there's probably more opportunity for the kinds of um you know, negotiations and, and agreements that we saw with the minimum wage was that last year when it's individual lawmakers going out and sort of grandstanding, so to speak, on an issue like this. I think we would see 
possibly more support, you know, in certain pockets of the state and less in others, right? If you're a moderate Democrat running in a, you know, Central Valley seat that's contested, it might be a little harder of a sell. But if you're a liberal from the coast, why not support something like this? Well, and and it's another question about the initiative reforms, right, that we alluded to right. a week or two ago and and how this might play into a, a legislative proposal. I mean, is this sort of the new the new normal in, in a new way to leverage a proposal where you go ahead, grab the signatures, reach the threshold, and then call legislative hearing and, you know, and, and use it as a threat. Uh, which you know, is, yeah, which I mean, how possible. Prop 30 <laughs> came to be to some extent too, right? There was this push that we're going to put a millionaire tax on the ballot. And, and it did bring a lot of, I think, people to the table that didn't necessarily want to engage at the, at the early stage, right? Yeah, um, and we saw it with Workers' Comp and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, there's there's some precedent for it, but but the 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 uh, the script might be a little bit different with these with these new set of initiative rules. So we we um, I put this out on the world of uh, Twitter to the Twitters uh, and 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 hey, podcast audience, engage with us. <laughs> <laughs> but I did ask the question about minimum wage and the politics of it, and people you know had their own thoughts. We got. Two, they're they're very familiar, good friends of the podcast. <laughs> I think one of them's angling for a podcast shirt if we ever create one. Uh, Michael, that's you. Um, but the question raised was about turnout, um, and you've got to you know maximize your turnout in a in a democratic year to get this. And then of course our our friend, the um, the voter data guru himself, Paul Mitchell, you know thinks he'll think he thinks turnout his projection. His prediction, only his folks, would be 45 percent Democratic, 30 percent Republican, 25 percent independent. Um, We'll see. But will income inequality be a driving issue by then? And I think that last part is one that goes to where we're sitting here talking is uh, we don't know what the larger master narratives of the political universe will be uh, at this point. I mean, clearly presidential candidates talking about it and a presidential ballot helps. But the other thing we just really quickly before we move on to other topics is what else could be on the ballot that could impact this? That is always a big question in political campaigns. Will there be tax increases uh, on that ballot, which is what you were talking about earlier? Uh, Will there be other measures that are polarizing or hot to trot kind of legalizing marijuana issues? Would the pension reform thing ever come forward? It's a soup in some ways. And every campaign has to calibrate in some way. And where's the attention of the voters? Where's the bandwidth of the voters? I mean, I think that's all kind of... Well, and how do folks on both sides of every issue spread their money around, right? If, if a lot of these are... Which was, I think Anthony was saying earlier, yeah. right. I mean, what does labor do if you've got more than one thing yeah, to go after Yeah, you've got to triage at yeah. a certain point. And if you are looking, you know, towards both candidates and ballot measures and, you know, in a crowded field, I think that, that there is, right. I mean, we talked about this around the, the Vergara and the teacher tenure stuff, right? Like at a certain point, uh, does the left get overtaxed? You know, I don't know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's important to note, you know, just as the business community is not necessarily monolithic, either is labor. I mean, when you're talking about a minimum wage increase, that doesn't impact teachers a whole lot. So uh, whereas, you know, general general fund revenues do. And so if you're looking at who would fund what, um, you know, that there are going to be some divisions within labor t- as well if, uh, if there are multiple measures going forward. The political chessboard will be interesting to watch on that one. And uh, I have a feeling we'll be talking more about it to come. So let's let's move to topic two on this week's California Politics Podcast. Um, it is that time of year at the domed building, the state capitol, bill after bill after bill after 
bill. Can you pay your bills? No, wrong bills. <laughs> oh, good, please. The, we need music. This is the this is the American <laughs> Idol part of the podcast. Um, so hundreds of bills with their big deadlines, uh, live or die. Uh, we certainly can't cover them all. We can't talk about them all. But um, I don't know. Let's pick through a few of the things that are out there. Um, maybe some of the more lively ones, not an official list. Let, let's talk about one we've talked about before. So let's do it briefly here, which was SB 277, uh, the bill to eliminate most exemptions from child vaccination. Um, another standing room only crowd on Tuesday, it cleared the Senate Judiciary Committee, three committees. And we're now here. It's going to get a fourth committee. It's going to a probes. It's going to Senate appropriations. Right. We expected that, didn't we? Uh, well, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't clear, at least at first to me. It was a triple referred. But yeah, anyway, so we're on committee four. big turnout still moving forward. Um I don't know. Any other thoughts, takeaways from this point? I mean, I mean, again, these these are, as I said in an earlier podcast, these are not people who see a middle ground on this. I don't I don't I mean, there there were amendments to the bill and things, but they don't change the fundamental equation of how people are reacting to this. No, I mean, I think if you're a wonk or a dork, whatever, <laughs> like like me, who, who a wonk who, or a dork <laughs> or maybe both. Who, Ergo, podcast <laughs> listener. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but I we saw, love you, podcast listeners. You know, or participant. Our our health uh, folks have been covering this and ad nauseum, but I I watched the hearing or most of it myself because I'm a wonk and a dork. Um, no, it was it's, it's it is just a really interesting debate in the sense that I think. Um, you have, you know, Republicans who have really lined up with the vaccine, uh, well, anti-vaxxers. I don't know. Is that a pejorative term? I, I, the, not, people, the, the people, critics, opponents uh, of critics, the bill. So, yeah. Um, who, you know, we had uh, a Republican from San Diego asking about the Catholic Church and our stem cells used in this and, and you know, the sort of issue of like, where does the Pope stand on vaccinations and, you know, coming back to the Disneyland measles outbreak. I mean, it's almost humorous. I'm, I'm watching Anthony's face over here. You know, like these debates I don't have a face. The top, the top, the top, you're the, but to be fair to everyone before they start uh, bombarding your Twitter account, the, the 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 topic is not humorous. No, but no. the way that the way this, that the debate sort of yeah. has snowballed in these committees, and it's not even it, it's not even the public. It's it's sort of the way that the the committees are shaping them, and I think people trying to sort of on both sides. Um, everybody la- everybody looking for something to latch on to yeah. to seal the deal on their side, one way right. or the other, either to kill it for sure or to absolutely pass it. And I think also that. What you see is the, these interesting um, the way that the the capital is structured. You know, the committee chair Hannah Beth Jackson tried to really keep things on track and say, "Look, we're this is the Judiciary Committee. We're talking about constitutional issues here. We're not talking about education or health. You know, which is it's already gone through those committees." Um, yeah. So anyway, let's move on. Yeah, we've, let's. We've talked about that a lot. Let's let's go to another bill. Uh, watched uh, one that died uh, this week, which was oh. SB two hundred three, the bill to label sugary drinks, mainly sodas, in California. This is not the first time this bill has come up. Goodness gracious, we've been talking about um, labeling and taxing and banning and all these kinds of things of of these for a while. Uh, the author, uh, uh, State Senator Bill Monning of um, of uh, of the central coast of, of, of Monterey County, um, pretty much said in a statement on Wednesday night, um, our time will come. I mean, he's not giving up that fight, 
But as our um, health editor, Lisa Alferis, a little shout out to her, pointed out in an email to Marisa and I this morning, you know, she finds it interesting that the bill went further last year, that it mm-hmm. actually got through more of it. And this is the first pass and it didn't, which begs the question about the effective lobbying of the Beverage Association or maybe just the lack of interest at the Capitol to take this and, on or, again. Or changing political composition of the houses. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that's a big part of it if you look at sort of where where the Senate is now versus where it was two years ago. Uh, I, politically, it's a little bit different. But, um, but you know, this issue, I mean, it's been, it's been a big issue. We saw, we saw, we've seen local ballot measures on it, and it's failed. What well, failed in Richmond well, and San Francisco passed in Berkeley. Berkeley yeah. And it got a majority in San Francisco, so probably, but because of the way it was structured, it needed two-thirds. Anyway, um, but I think, you know, Senator Monning's right. The issue is not going away. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see. It's sort of like the plastic bag ban where you see a lot of local measures coming first and, and um, you know, Sacramento will, will take another crack at it, you know, next year, I'm sure. And let's be clear. I mean, the beverage industry has been gearing up. You know, they they expected this. They knew it was coming. They've spent a lot of time and energy on um, putting out, you know, whatever, press releases, newspaper advertisements, placing editorials, you know, they've, they've really beat the drum on this, I think, statewide. And, um, yeah, I mean, it did get through the Senate last year. We we have a different pro tem, a different makeup. I think that that's certainly part of it. But um, it, it's, it's an interesting debate that I agree is not going away and, and is sort of getting more interesting as both sides get a little bit more firepower on their side you know we're seeing competing studies come out we're seeing right. you know these debates happen and so and, and i think what happens in berkeley with that tax will, will be fascinating um i wanted to bring up another controversial one teacher. on on onward bills yeah. what else is on the so radar education uh republicans had a, a package of of bills addressing teacher tenure and 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 how um teachers are evaluated that pretty much holistically got axed this week um no huge surprise there i would no, but we talked about this on a podcast earlier that because uh, I brought up the point that that the issue of tenure and teacher rules and and all of that was a simmering out there, not dealt with by the Democratic majority in some ways, that there were a couple of Republican bills. And, yeah, they went down to defeat. I mean, there were two in particular of notable one that would have uh, uh, made it longer to get tenure, which was from Rocky Chavez, the assemblyman from Southern California mm-hmm. who's running for the U.S. Senate. And uh, the bill by Catherine Baker, Assemblywoman from the East Bay, to repeal the last in, first out provisions, basically the provisions that the least senior teachers are the first ones laid off when there's layoffs out there. Uh, Dems shut those bills down. And again, I think that that issue still, it's simmering. The The right vehicle, the right champion, the right person, I mean, maybe, you know... These may, probably were not it. Yeah, um, but we'll see. But, but will it, it be in the leg, will it be in the legislature no. though? Because I mean, the right. legislature. I mean, the power. It it sort of shows the disproportionate power of the, of the teachers' unions in the legislature as compared to, um, you know, their sort of general. Uh, where, where Californians in general stand with them on, on some of these issues. Yeah, but it also shows the sort of political reality in the Capitol, which is, I mean, I don't think most of the Republican lawmakers had any, you know real fantasies that these would pass they were they were doing it to prove a point in a way about cta's power not that they don't believe in the policy behind it but i think they knew politically it was pretty much a non-starter now we did see you know some other laws passed last year carried by or at least one by a democrat john buchanan that kind of dealt with some very egregious issues around you know teachers 
sleeping with students or selling them drugs or things like that. But even that was a heavy lift for right. a Democrat, right? And as a so, result, yeah. it became a very narrow bill compared to what there right. had been talked about. Alex Padilla, a Democrat, had, a propose, had proposals on that after there were some... You know, the like, latest round of, of allegations had, had broken and, and that bill died. So. Right. So, I mean, and so I think clearly there's the sort of politics of, you know, the Republicans wanting to push this to shine a light on, you know, the Democratic opposition. But also there's this reality that even Democrats who want to take this up are having a hard time with it. Um I also wanted to to just mention the uh, motor voter bill that uh, sponsored by Leonard Gonzalez from San Diego um, or authored, sponsored by Alex Padilla, now our Secretary of State. This would basically make Sponsorship. It, you and I have been talking yeah, about that uh, lately. Sponsored, and, written, whatever. They're both behind it. She's the author. Padilla is the big backer. Exactly. Uh, so. And essentially, this bill would say when you go and get a driver's license, your information is automatically given over to the Secretary of State to register to you to vote. Um Interesting because of our low turnout, but also because of the fact that folks who have been asking the DMV under our current law to register to the vote aren't always getting registered. So I think there's real questions about the bandwidth of the state sort of system to handle this, even if it does pass. And then, of course, you know, there's the open question of even if you registered everybody to vote, would they actually show up at the polls? Also on the election front, I want to quickly flag um, Assembly Bill 1100 by Assemblymember Evan Lowe, a freshman Democrat from uh, from the Bay Area, from the city of Campbell. Uh, interesting bill, a late addition to the bill. And I was in Assembly elections on Wednesday watching several bills, and there was a whole plethora of election stuff we could talk about. But this one's interesting because it was motivated by that very bizarre, very troubling uh, initiative that has gotten lots of attention uh, by a random, nobody knows who the hell he is, guy in Southern California that would legalize the murder of gay and lesbian Californians. Anyway, um, the feeling that it only costs 200 bucks to file an initiative is way too low, that that's the figure that's been around since the 1940s. So uh, Assemblyman Lowe's bill, AB 1100, would raise the filing fee from $200 to $8,000. I'd say that's a pretty substantial increase. It passed assembly elections. My read is is that the bill has been given some space here, that it's going to have some support. Uh, I suspect that that number is still going to be in play because I have a feeling that there are going to be people who are going to say $8,000 is too high of a threshold for legitimate grassroots groups, legitimate small-time Californians. But $200, it's a good point. $200 is a a pretty low threshold for any wacky idea to be submitted uh, for the ballot, even though we know they're not going to make the ballot. But people have to do work on those. The attorney general has to vet them. There has to be a title and summary prepared. A fiscal impact. Well, a fiscal impact has to be done by the ledge analyst. And a lot of stuff has to be done, maybe a higher number. I think the 8,000 number comes from some estimate from the AG's office of staff work. Mm -hmm. But, um, But still... 8000 bucks. That's an interesting one. So that move forward. What would Hiram Johnson do? What would Hiram do? I don't know. Okay. That's another podcast. <laughs> uh, a couple others I flagged, and then if you guys have some, then we'll, we'll move on. Uh, I thought it was interesting that two bills we've talked about, about the future of higher ed, move forward. Uh, Mike Gatto, uh, assembly member from L.A., has a bill to create a new tech campus of the University of California, at least a, an initial study system of a UC tech campus, since we have um, a lack of technology training in the higher education system, uh, according to Mr. Gatto and supporters. Uh, Richard Roth, senator from the Inland Empire's bill to fully fund a med school at UC Riverside. Some movement in the world of higher ed there. 
Uh, Speaker Tony Atkins's bills on affordable housing move forward. And then not quite clear at the time we're taping the podcast, I suspect it's going to move forward, but there's some wrangling going on in the Capitol as we sit in our little studio about um, closely watched bill about body cameras for so police. On Twitter, breaking news. Assembly Bill 66. A compromise has been worked out and the bill will move forward. There you go. Well, the, Look at that. She, she, Shout out to Melanie Mason from the LA Times. Good. She refreshed her, uh, her screen before I did. But Assembly Member Shirley Weber's bill, closely watched and an issue clearly we're talking oh, about yeah. with what's going on in the news nationally right now. I mean, and so many people are talking about it. Attorney General Kamala Harris has talked about it with state officers and these notions of the cameras, when to have them, how they work, what rules should be Well, in right. Place. I mean, we saw just this week L.A. approve body cams with some um, big sort of concessions, I think, to police who still don't or the police union who still don't like it, but that caused the ACLU to withdraw their support. And then Thursday morning in San Francisco, the mayor and, and law enforcement leaders announced that they were putting, you know, six plus million dollars next year into basically outfitting all the officers in that city. So, I mean, what I think is going to be fascinating about AB 66 is to watch how that interplays with the local policies and how the legislation is sort of shaped with that in mind, because some of it, you know, is to have a sort of uniform standard, but then there's this potential for folks on either side of the issue to kind of meddle as this moves forward and, and, you know, maybe put in some things that some of the cities that are instituting this wouldn't like. So on to our side dish here in the California Politics Podcast, our little sample of uh, things that are out there. Uh, looking here across the uh, the room, who's okay? Anthony's given that like okay, sure, why not? Let's let we'll, yeah, we'll give it, uh, Mr. Mr. Well, York. We're going to start with the lifestyle. This is a lifestyles moment. And Anthony York is uh, <laughs> Anthony York forty nine on Twitter. On Twitter, uh, but yeah, it's a big lifestyles weekend. You know, I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hoity toity. Th- uh, events going on. There's the Kentucky Derby. It's Derby Day. There's big. Thank you, Cap- Mr. Churchill Downs. Uh, Winston <laughs> I just Churchill need a, Downs. I need a mint julep. Where Where is yeah, our uh, Where is our weight service in the right. studio? One of those chilled cups. Uh, fight night in Vegas. You know, Pacquiao Mayweather, and in Pebble Beach, it's the Speakers Cup. Everyone's favorite fundraiser. The you knew gr- it was the, going back to politics. The granddaddy of them all. Uh, <laughs> AT&T presents the Speakers Cup. Um, this is the, the largest fundraiser uh, annually for, uh, technically for the Democratic Party, but it's for the Assembly Caucus. Uh, I had the honor of uh, crashing the party a few years ago with my fellow LA Times alumnus, Shane Goldmacher, and uh, it's a pretty nice party they put on. And so uh, <laughs> if you're looking for your legend, for your assembly member this weekend, try Pebble Beach. Or your Democratic assemblyman this weekend. <laughs> I don't think there'll be a lot of Republican assembly members. Well, there aren't a lot in the assembly, so hey. Oh. <laughs> Are there... Yeah, 50. and is there any interplay between a boxing match and this... Uh... You know, it's uh, it's been an issue. It's because... The, it, uh, uh, Floyd May- Floyd Mayweather likes to fight on Cinco de Mayo weekend. I don't know why, but he does. But so there have been big fights on at Speakers Cup weekends before, and they have not been able to to make it happen. The synergy isn't. isn't I don't know happening. the AT and T cable pay per view. Hmm. I don't know what the issue is there, but um, uh, you know, 
I, I it's thank you for worrying about whether or not our lawmakers are going to be able to see the fight. I'm, they appreciate your concern. I'm super concerned. <laughs> I mean, I'm worried. I mean, and is the food going to be good? I, you, you know, know, there's so many. You know, and of course, and, the, and, and will they be getting Apple watches this year, like they did at the Pro Tem Cup? I was going to uh, say, and of course, bags. the takeaway is this is one of those big moments on the influence calendar, on the calendar of who the influential people are Absolutely. and how the world works in politics. And if you look at where we are in the legislative cycle as well, it's two weeks before the the May revise. It's uh, you know anybody who wanted to draw connections between money, influence, and policy, uh, May is a good month for that. Very nice. Great. So speaking of money, Marisa Lagos um, Twitter handle M Lagos. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, John. Um, <laughs> so I I just wanted to note the uh, Franchise Tax Board put out their annual median income data this week, showing that um, for individuals filing returns for last year, it was around thirty six thousand, a little bit up from twenty twelve, and around seventy three thousand for joint returns. Um, but you know, the interesting thing is always the sort of top ten highest. Um, Marin, San Mateo, Santa Clara, Alameda, Contra Costa, San Francisco. So basically the Bay Area. The Bay Area, right. The Bay Area. Yeah, uh, we're talking $133,000 in Marin, around 93000 in San Francisco. And, um, yeah, I'm, you know, then we kind of get into some other placers after San Francisco, which is sort of fascinating. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back to the you know income equality and, and minimum wage, I mean, you know, $36,000 in a lot of places in California is not a lot of money for an individual to make. So and, and food for thought. Yeah. And again, I mean, it just it goes to this series of discussions that I don't know. The observation is we've talked about this so much, but it just continues to percolate. But there's never actually been a uh, a moment where that stuff leaps forward into some kind of big change or shift. Although I know, Anthony, you've, you've been watching that a lot. And I know you drum. will continue to Despite watch Despite my that. blogging, income inequality <laughs> still exists. Solved. <laughs> right. So my side dish this week uh, and my Twitter handle, John Myers, uh, is uh, he's back. The man, uh, the man who wanted to uh, split the state into six now wants to fix the state. From sixes to fixes, something. Tim Draper, the Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalist, uh, was nice enough to come visit me here in the bureau right over there the other day. He had the six Californias tie on. I asked him, was there one? He said, no, there's more than one. I asked him, uh, you know, for somebody who likes to collect political memorabilia, how do I get one? I'll pay for mine. No, please, Podcast Nation. I'm not taking freebies from from Mr. Draper. <laughs> but and hopefully, John cannot be bought off by one tie. Exactly. That's, that's I would another hope podcast. And where the hell would I wear that tie? I don't think I would wear it anyway. Um, <laughs> Anthony's mulling the possibilities of that. Up uh, to the Speaker's Cup. Uh, sorry, uh, Tim Draper. Uh, anyway, has a new idea. So obviously, six Californias didn't happen. He spent almost five million dollars to try to get it on the ballot didn't have enough valid signatures, failed to make the ballot. Um, and so now he has this idea to basically offer like uh, an X prize or the shark tank idea where like people have ideas on how to fix California, governmental, educational, um, other things, and they will match with venture capitalists who are willing to back it. And he may back it. And maybe something will go on the ballot or maybe it won't go on the ballot. The, 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 the details were a little... Um, 
not quite clear to me in talking to him. But, like any other tech startup, John. Yes. Come but on. but he claims to be in, you know, a big fan of disruption, as the Silicon Valley term would be. And so he thinks this is disruption. Of course, some of his critics from the Six Californias effort immediately emailed me back and said, we suggested this very thing last year. He ought to just like, you know, fund an X prize with his money rather than split the California uh, state up into many states. So they should be happy, right? They should be happy, but they're not because they mm. want a credit for it, I think. Uh, mm. One in particular, we won't shout him out right now. Um, but anyway, you know, Draper seems to want to remain active. Do any of his ideas gel? I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't want to put odds on it, but, you know, the guy hasn't gone away. He wants to keep talking about it, and um, we'll see what kind of ideas come forward. Are you going to enter? I don't have enough good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast. I'm really good at, at, at knocking down ideas. I'm not sure I'm good at uh, bringing ideas forward. Okay, topic three on the California Politics Podcast. I feel like we need soap opera music. As the faucet drips. As the... Dun, dun. There you go. One more time. Oh, now I can't do it again. Good. Good. Uh, Anthony York with the, uh, with the sound effects. Now for two weeks running. Um, so water news I'm, this week. I'm the Cameron Fry of this podcast. People will be looking that up now, stopping the podcast to Google it. Um, so water news this week, um, both from Governor Jerry Brown. Um, earlier in the week on Tuesday, he announced a new legislative effort to help local communities deal with the drought rules. They are being handed by the state water board. Uh, some of that includes something along the lines of um, faster environmental review of local uh, water projects. I think that's basically a recycling kind of thing. Someone will tell me I'm wrong here. And then also this notion that there could be maximum fines of $10,000 for water wasters, though the chair of the state water board at the event on Tuesday quickly said that would only be the most egregious instances. So I'm not really sure how that'll be defined. Um, egregious is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and then on Thursday here, as we're taping the podcast, uh, and I think is the bigger story, quite frankly. So we'll kind of roll all this together. Uh, the governor announcing a um, revamping, I think, would be what I'll call it for now, of the Bay Delta Conservation Plan. Uh, highlighted, of course, that plan is highlighted by the Delta Tunnels, the underground tunnels to bring water from north to south. But the main part, uh, really, that you see out of the the announcement, and we guys still look at the details here since we're taping very close to the governor's announcement. They're scaling back the um, the habitat restoration in the Delta uh, that was planned from this. There was a, a call for 100,000 acres that now is down to 30,000 acres. There is some sense that the habitat restoration is not completely baked into the uh, conveyance, the tunnels project now. Right, but now they're Someone like... from the administration will disagree with that. But um, these are both significant things. One is the immediate issue of the water drought crisis. How do you deal with it? And the other is this long-standing thing that the governor uh, trying to find a way through the complicated, messy politics and policy of that Delta project. Well, I'll say this. They, they sent out a press release this morning on this issue. And, you know, I think... Uh, the way they're framing it, clearly, clearly their PR folks have been at work, right? This is a, a plan to accelerate restoration of the Delta ecosystem and fix the state's aging water infrastructure. I think there might be some environmentalists out there that disagree with that characterization. Or proponents of the Delta. 
Right. Maybe. Or opponents of the or tunnels. Or everybody. Right. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it, it sort of, uh, you know, we'll see how this plays out, but what this means for the, the larger politics of the Delta, of the tunnels project, um, which I think, you know, um, increasingly is going to be an issue for the governor. I, look, water water is uh, is has always been a major issue for Jerry Brown. Remember, they passed, last time he tried to build a system like this, got the legislature to pass it, and uh, the day that California voters rejected Jerry Brown's U.S. Senate bid, they also referended the peripheral canal. So he's no stranger to this issue, and now it's interesting how, you know, what, 33 years later, this this very same issue, a very similar conveyance system in the very same spot is uh, is proving to be a, a big political issue well, for the governor. And there's such a delicate nature to the way that the Delta plan, and I want to talk about the other part too, the, the, the water fines and all that, but there's such a delicate nature to the way the Delta plan has been constructed so far. I mean, this notion that um, water users, mainly in Southern California, will pay for the plan. But to pay for the plan, they want an assurance that the plan will continue to be blessed by environmental uh, regulators for years and years to come. And so when you start changing the environmental component, perhaps you then have to make all the people who are going to pay for the plan um, convinced that it's still in their best interest to pay for the plan. And if you don't pay for the plan, then the whole thing falls yeah, apart. I mean, and it's a really tricky, delicate thing. That's what I was going to say. It's sort of this delicate balancing act on an issue that really there's not a lot of agreement on. And there's so many unknowns, as you mentioned, in terms of what federal regulators do, how it's sort of viewed um, in through that lens. And then, you know, and, and I think there's also, you know, the issue of just water in general being like, you know, the fines we're talking about. I mean, all of this is, is so much broader than just this one plan, but it all needs each other, kind of. And so much of this, again, is a is a rethinking of what water means to Californians. And I feel like that's so much of what we have to talk about and we'll keep talking about. And to that point, back to the Tuesday event where the governor announced the, um, the, the new legislation to help locals mm-hmm. and the water fines, I asked him a question at the end of the press conference, and I want to play his answer here. Um, I asked him... You know, as his role as the as the educator, uh, the culture of uh, uh, the educator of, uh, on this issue and the fact that it's a cultural issue in California. I asked him this question and, and this is born from my own life from over the weekend where I was seeing about how much water costs in Sacramento is water too cheap. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, isn't there something here about water being too cheap? So I asked him that. And I said, isn't water too cheap? I mean, is that what you have to tell people in the governor's answer? Uh, that's what. A politician would call a trap question. <laughs> I would say this, water is extremely valuable and its value is being more deeply recognized as the drought continues. The price will vary depending upon where you are. There's more water oftentimes in the north than there is in the south. So uh, water will be priced in more rational ways as we learn more, as we enforce more, and we get a better understanding of just what this drought is going to turn out to be. So water will be priced in more rational ways. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is the crux of the entire thing, is what is the what is the appropriate, rational way to deal with the cost uh, to get the water, to have the water, to use the water, to waste the water? Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about this court case down in San Juan Capistrano looking at tiered rates and whether they're legal. I think that if if that 
case prevails, which is essentially challenging this idea that you charge more to people who use more, um, then I think we'll see some creativity on the part of the state and local agencies in terms of really trying to quantify better, like how much does water cost? Because I don't think, you know, that that question is fully answered just by how much, you know, the dollar amount it takes to take it from A to B, right? I mean, if if this is a precious resource and, and a finite one, then at a certain point, is there a dollar amount attached to that? And and we see that with with other things too. I mean, look, it, it's that's analogous to the discussion going on around carbon. And I know that we're not talking about it in this podcast, but the governor did make some announcements <laughs> about how is that? No, we that? are. No, no, no. Okay. no but, but I mean, but I mean, but hold, but, hold on, podcast but, listeners. I, I I said the governor made this announcement about climate change and new rules, new new uh, goals for uh, emissions. And I had said, I had said. It just thematically doesn't fit into our show. And so Anthony Anthony, Anthony now has... Au contraire. But that's okay. You're saying... A, that a there new, is an analogy here because in terms of... thinking. Because of putting on... Uh, trying to attach a true cost to what, you know, uh, social cost, environmental cost, what, you know, and trying to determine the true cost, that's exactly what's going on with carbon. And, now, and I think that we're having this discussion about natural resources. And as we continue to grow and... and uh, you know, can we can we uh, build a sustainable society here that that understands that that resources are not limitless? And I think that that is sort of the underlying questions to both the water question and and discussions about climate change. As and well. I think gets to this issue of the fines and why the governor is proposing this, which, by the way, needs to go through the legislature. So and we haven't seen a lot of details fleshed out. We haven't but, seen a, We haven't seen a language yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, that's one of the things that the governor and other state leaders are saying is even if these fines are never assessed, we need to give, you know, local agencies some teeth behind the, their threats and, and, and their demands from users. And, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around the fact that in general, the biggest water users and the ones that have cut back the least tend to be the most wealthy communities. And I think you mentioned on this podcast, John, a few weeks ago, like, what's a grand a day to, to somebody in Beverly Hills with a multi-million dollar home? You know, I'm sure it's different to everybody. But. Well, and that and then and then I know time is of the essence. People are tired of listening to this podcast. But, you know, we never <laughs> we never know how far we're going to go. Anthony is now just doodling on a piece of paper. He's totally checked out. But just let me say something about the $10,000 thing, because, again, I asked the thing about the cost of water because of my own experience over the weekend. You know, this notion that a water waster gets fined $10,000 um, is fine, but when you have basically given people license to waste water, it's kind of hard to um, admonish them for that. Because I looked at my water bill in the city of Sacramento. The city of Sacramento has a long, tortured history of the way we charge for water. There were no meters, and now we're starting to have meters. There's a flat rate, plus then there's a rate above that. But here's the here's the rate that I found. For one cubic foot of water, which is about seven and a half gallons, because I had to go online because my math is not good anymore, because I'm a journalist. About seven and a half gallons of water is a penny in the city of Sacramento. I mean, or a little less than a penny, actually, about nine-tenths of a cent. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, that's amazing that that little cost for that much water, but then we tell people who are wasting water, it's a 10000 up to a $10,000 fine. This is the cultural part that I get to, that someone has to have a cultural rethinking of the value of not just water, carbon emissions and things, to Anthony's point, because that just, that doesn't match up. I mean, people can't pay, you know, 30 bucks to fill a swimming pool. And then, you know, be fined for wasting water somewhere else. It's a it's a disconnect in some way. And then there's the challenge. Okay. 
So you're volunteering to pay more, right? Apparently, I no, I really do. I think yeah. if you're, I think if you're going to use the water, you got to pay for it. Absolutely. And if you don't want to pay for it, then don't use it. And on that lovely note, um, <laughs> John, speaking the that's truth, it. I'm not showering <laughs> for the rest of the year. John's like, mic drop. I'm out. <laughs> don't waste water, people. I am going to shower. I'm just going to try to be very quick about it. Uh, that's Marisa Lagos from KQED, Anthony York from the Grizzly Bear Project, and now me trying to make sense of that. John Myers from KQED News. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening to this California Politics Podcast.